This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Cray introduces Epic Supercomputers. And HPE supplies arms to UK. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, podcasting again with Michael Feldman, the editor at Top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. How's it going there? We're doing great. And there was a lot of news in the HPC world this week in HPC. And let's start with, as your headline points out on top500.org, AMD making an epic return to Cray supercomputers. Yeah, I uh, figured this seems like it's the first time in five years or maybe a little bit longer that uh, Cray has... uh, offered AMD chips in their supercomputer lineup. Um, the old XK uh, supercomputer lineup and XE lineups had the AMD Opterons in them, but that was half a decade ago, and this is seems like the first time. Now, this isn't their supercomputing line. They're putting them in their XE line. This is their cluster line. This is the CS500 product line that they're adding them to. So a whole a return to the not to the Opteron era, but uh, the AMD era for Cray, and it's uh, kind of interesting. And just in that in that sense, even so, we've been watching AMD pretty closely throughout the launch of this Epic 7000 processor line because it, it looked like a really strong HPC processor, but we hadn't been hearing from AMD in a while. And uh, I will admit that that I had started to, to write off AMD in this space, but now they've got uh, with this epic return, there's a there's a Dell PowerEdge line with a one socket and two socket systems. They're they're in some HPE ProLiant systems. We've seen systems from Supermicro, Penguin. But as far as supercomputing goes, getting them into a Cray line, even the CS line, this really brings a lot of legitimacy back to this uh, AMD return to supercomputing. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. The legitimacy factor here because we. We sort of knew about the Penguin and and the uh, the Dell EMC line and and even the HPE line, but they didn't talk a lot about it. Penguin's a smaller uh, company, obviously, and HPE and Dell didn't didn't really push those configurations for HPC very much. Although it's certainly in the literature. In, in this case, with Cray sort of putting this forward in one of their uh, specific purpose-built HPC cluster machines, I think it really draws attention to the fact that that the uh, the AMD Epic chip might uh, might be ready for prime time in this space now. And it's interesting because really we've seen these supply side battles, not just on the processor side, but in the attendant technologies that go along with them, things like the interconnect space and whether you use accelerators. And if you're someone who wants an x86 processor, but you're not convinced yet about Xeon Phi or or uh, Omnipath, and you're interested in, uh, say, uh, InfiniBand or a different GPU, maybe you want to look at what are the x86 options besides Intel. Right, exactly. And, and we should point out the CS500 is an existing product line that offered uh, Intel Xeons, as well as Intel Xeon, Xeon Phi's, at, at least at one point, uh, with a small option for accelerators. But Again, now they've got the two the two vendors for the x86, and it does offer that choice. Now, Cray wasn't really explicitly clear on how they're differentiating uh, those two options now, although they they did sort of talk about the memory bandwidth advantage 
of uh, of the AMD Epic chip. So I think they're going to, at least behind the scenes, that's how they're going to pitch these to customers or potential customers, that it, it does have that advantage over the Xeon line, over the Xeon option um, for applications that are memory bandwidth bound. And that's something that should be a strong advantage when we have surveyed the end user community about what they're looking for in processor architectures. Memory bandwidth scores quite highly in terms of something that makes a real technical difference for a wide range of applications and evaluations. However, if we look historically at how other companies have fared, memory bandwidth was also a, a key advantage of the power line, and, and that has not served IBM well in this space so far, whether that's a a strategic problem or a marketing problem, a targeting kind of issue, memory bandwidth alone hasn't been enough to drive a, a real increase in power processors in this space. Now you point out that uh, you know Cray is, hasn't really made much of a differentiation yet, and that's been something that's been in line with what we've seen so far for with other vendors that are supporting a range of processors. The message seems to be, well, we have whatever you like. Come take a look and, and pick what you want. I would love to see some vendor take a stronger message than that and actually start taking the lead in um, guiding customers in what types of uh, combinations and architectures serve particular applications better or worse. Because if I go to Intel, they're going to say everything runs better on Xeon and everything runs better on Omnipath. NVIDIA is going to say everything runs better on GPUs. There ought to be room for some vendor who has a wide portfolio to start acting as an arbiter for all of these different technologies. Right. And to look for that sort of information, you have to go to to certain types of analysts that do this work. Now, I did dig a little bit, and there are people that, that do this sort of uh, uh, application testing. And, and in this case, uh, they actually tested the AMD EPIC servers against the compar comparable Xeon servers for a CFD application, in this case, Fluent. They found a significant performance advantage for the AMD server uh, for for this Fluent. I've, I've seen that reflected in a couple of uh, uh, more informal tests. Um, and I've actually seen it for OpenFoam as well, the open source version of a, of a, of a CFD application. So there definitely are uh, applications out there, and I think it's more than just CFD, that are going to probably run uh, significantly better on the AMD. But you're right. Um, vendors in general are not talking about it, at least publicly, um, uh, to give potential users a better idea. If they're doing it behind the scenes, it's it's going to be more subtle. But this, uh, I think, you know, your research showing that people are more interested in memory uh, memory bandwidth, memory limitations, I think is right on. As as time goes by and compute starts to, to outrun memory uh, capacity and performance, uh, it seems like there's more and more applications that are going to be memory bound than ever before. So this is this could be a very significant uh, platform for a lot more users than just uh, CFD and maybe some other niche applications. It could be actually a more broad-based uh, platform for a lot of HPC applications. And I had seen that Fluent benchmark before. In fact, Dell makes that claim on one of their charts for uh, for their AMD Epic uh, two socket, which is the R um, the uh, the PowerEdge R seventy four twenty five is their two socket platform. They make the claim of twenty five percent 
better uh, HPC performance on, on ANSYS fluent specifically. Uh, so maybe Cray can carry forward some of that, but but in, but nevertheless, certainly interesting to see uh, Epic making this return to this uh, to the Cray portfolio, and we'll see how it starts to fare. Indeed, and then there's always the question of are they going to add it to their XC supercomputing line in the future? And of course, Cray wouldn't uh, wouldn't sort of give any guidance on that. But it's if this becomes successful, there's no reason why. Uh, with with these these advantages, they wouldn't try that, but uh, that remains to be seen. Meanwhile, also this week in HPC, we have another different architecture making the news from another server vendor, HPE, uh, not introducing a new line. This is on the Apollo seventy clusters, but they have a deal now to supri- to supply ARM based uh, Apollo clusters to three different UK universities. Right, and this is the Apollo 70 platform. They they announced this at SC17 back uh, at the end of last year. Um, but these are the first three deployments that they've made public. At least uh, they say there's some uh, there's some customers in the pipeline, but they're they're not public at this point. So these are are not big deployments, but there's three of them. They're all 64 node uh, systems. These are dual socket systems. Uh, going to three universities. Uh, this is the University of Edinburgh, the University of Leicester, and the University of Bristol. And the Bristol installation is is particularly interesting since that's also the place where Isambard, the other uh, fairly large size ARM-based uh, system, is going. That was a Cray-built system, actually. That was a CS400 system with uh, the same ARM chips in them. So the UK is uh, seems very interested in in sort of testing out these ARM systems, and in this case from from HPE, it's a good win for HPE um, in the UK and and for the Apollo seventy line certainly. Yeah, we've been talking about ARM for a long time now. I was just digging through and looking at panel questions that I was asking at ISC twelve about uh, ARM processors in HPC. And it's been a long time coming as this has been a a slow to develop market, but the UK has been uh, one of the countries that's been out in front on it. You already mentioned the Eisenbard supercomputer. The other of course is Japan, uh, and they have the the ARM-based initiative for their exascale plans uh, coming from Fujitsu and the uh, Tofu Interconnect. Uh, and, uh, of course, maybe not coincidentally, those are the two countries that have been involved with the company Arm Holdings, which started in the UK uh, before getting acquired by SoftBank in Japan. So we've seen a lot of movement in those two countries so far. That said, I, I am a little concerned at, at how long this has been to develop. These do still seem like test systems, proof of concept systems to show that uh, we can build out HPC systems at scale on this architecture. I think the Cavium Thunder X2 has, has been a good chip, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot that has to go into the ecosystem for scalability here. And if we're talking about ARM-based exascale supercomputing around 2021, that's now less than four years off, and I'm not convinced we're going to have a single ARM-based supercomputer on the top 500 list this June. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's in the cards either. Um, yeah, I think at the beginning of these these sort of processes where new architectures are being introduced, it's slower than people sort of estimate. Uh, even I've probably overestimated how fast this would happen. 
But I mean, there's a lot of things slowing that down. Like you mentioned, there's the software ecosystem that has to build up, but also on the hardware side, I mean, these Thunder X2 chips, really you could consider the first legitimate ARM chip for HPC. I think it runs, you know, maybe a little over 500 teraflops, uh, which is sort of almost at the low end now of of what what an HPC CPU is. Um, and these chips really weren't available until this year. And then these OEMs really weren't in line until, you know, late last year and early this year as well. So uh, in a sense, we're just at the start of that process where there's legitimate platforms that are ARM powered for HPC that are now available. So now that that's happening and they're sort of being spread around, uh, I think between now and let's say 2020, when the post-K system comes out with an ARM platform, we'll see some of these larger systems on the top 500 list. There's there's now enough uh, these test platforms out there. I think the next stage will be larger production systems on on some of the more interested uh, uh, customers. Yeah, I I think that's that's right. We have to have the proof of concept first. We have to. Uh, see or prove the scalability of applications on these new architectures. And, and it is a process that takes a while. My point was only that as we're talking about AMD and Epic and uh, and these ARM processors that really still were living in an Intel-driven world, Intel-dominated world. Yep. If we look across our site census data and we'll rerun our site census application, the HPC industry coming up uh, uh, next uh, next quarter. Um, we've we've really seen Intel continuing to dominate this space. Now, NVIDIA with GPUs have, have made a lot of uh, headway as an accelerator, but the servers themselves that have Intel processors in the sockets, and uh, and it's yet to be seen how much share another processor type or another processor competitor can capture in HPC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these things are happening slowly, and like, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, we see now that Epic is being offered by by a number of uh, vendors now, but I doubt we're going to see an Epic supercomputer on the top 500 list this go around. But maybe again in the next few years we might. So it it happens slowly as as adoption sort of ramps up. But right right now, still Intel still owns this game. But uh, I think even they're looking over their shoulders. They see these competing architectures now come in. If people like these, and especially if they're cost competitive, which they promise to be, they could see start of their sort of their market share start to erode, and some of these bigger systems start to actually be deployed in the space, and uh, their their sort of dominance would would start to to be. Uh, to be mitigated to some extent at least one last quick shout out we're not going to have time to do the story but you've got a story on top500.org since we're talking about alternate processing we've talked about quantum computing on this podcast quite a bit and there is an interesting story with atos claiming a breakthrough in quantum computing incorporating quantum noise into its simulations you've got an article up on that on top500.org people should go take a look yeah, that was an interesting article. They they upgraded their software platform for their simulator to to get better, uh, uh, a more realistic simulation of how a quantum system would behave. So yeah, very interesting development there for Atos. They're continuing to move their quantum uh, program forward. All right, Michael, thanks a lot. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research. Actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. 
For more information, visit intersect360.com.